this morning, humbling ourselves before Thee, Lord, putting aside everything, everything that's in our mind concerning life, the problems, the issues, the non-issues, whatever it is, O Lord, I pray You would help us to put it all away and to cast our burdens at Your feet and to be still in Your presence this morning that we can hear what You have to say, Lord. For that day draws closer and closer and closer. Every passing moment that day comes closer when each one of us will stand before You. Help us to hear, to learn, to obey, and to be prepared for that day, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you. Speak to us. We just surrender our hearts, our minds, our ears into thy hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. If you were there last Sunday, and if you were in, I hope you listened online, we saw the confidence with which Apostle Paul speaks even in his literally last hour, last few weeks left before he is executed. The confidence he has, he has in God. A man who is incarcerated in a Roman dungeon with almost, almost the entire, if not most of the church established by him have turned their backs to him and he's practically alone just for a few faithful. Yet this absolute assurance, confidence that I have run my race. And I have finished well. And I see my crown. That's, that's incredible. That's incredible. So the question, we learn from all these great saints recorded in the Bible and others in church history is what we learn even from the young man who passed away. How do you stand strong in the face of sometimes Absolute, total collapse. That's what Paul faced in his life. You're going to die. You already know you're going to die. Your ministry seems to have gone nowhere. Everything you started, others have taken. And nobody is there. You are in Rome where there are probably tens and thousands of Christians. One man searched for you hard and found you. The rest are not even bothered. You don't even have somebody in the city who will lend you his, your, his coat to keep you warm. You have to get it from Ephesus. There is no believer who will even share his parchment with you. You need to get it from there if you want to read. But even in his last hour, his only request is get, it, get me my cloak, my coat to keep my body warm and my parchments to keep my soul warm. And I know I have run my race well. I fought the good fight, I finished, and I see the crown. Then he promises everyone, all of us, not only me, but everyone who is looking forward to the appearance of Jesus. That's the key. How do we stand strong in the midst of our storms, our trials, our testing, our temptations, everything? How do you stand strong? Because we are preparing for his coming. It's exciting. Exam is exciting only for the prepared student. 
Every child, every student who has prepared exam is exciting. But those who are not prepared are worried, anxious, terrified, whatever it, your reaction is. Okay. So the church is a set of prepared people. The ministry of the word is for preparing people. Okay. So this morning, about standing, when that day comes, trouble comes in your life. I want to read two verses primarily. One from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. First, Jeremiah chapter 12 and verse 5. If you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, they have tired you, then how can you contend with horses? And if in the land of peace in which you trusted, they wearied you, tired you, then how will you do in the floodplain of the Jordan. Read that careful. Footmen in old days army are the soldiers who march. He said marching with them you are tired then how are you going to run with the horses? At a time of peace we are experiencing incredible relative peace in Hyderabad. At a time of peace in which you trusted you are tired of your problems, then what are you going to do when persecution comes? There's a question Richard Wimberen asks. It's an incredible uh, testimony he shares. Of He spent 14 years in prison, you know, for his faith, 8 and 6. He says, in prison, we were made to stand 17 hours a day, stand, in boxes which was full of uh, nails. And uh, you can't even rest when you are tired because the nails poke you 17 hours a day. And uh, he says, through the day, the microphones keep on telling you the same message over and over and over. Communism is good, Bible is bad. Communism is good, Bible is bad. This is what you hear 17 hours a day for 14 years. He says, Question, rhetorical question that is asked is, if you are tired by a one and a half hour sermon, how will you withstand that? That's a question they ask. If a 40 minute sermon in a church tires you and you keep on telling the pastors, make it 25, make it 20 minutes, when that hour comes, where will you stand? Where will you stand? You will buckle immediately and say communism is good. Bible is bad. This real situation God is talking about. If footmen weary you, what will you do when the horsemen come and you have to run with them? Let's look at New Testament parallel, kind of parallel. Ephesians chapter 6 verse. Uh, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand. When the day of evil comes. It's not the day of the Lord. That is not an evil day. It's not talking about that. When evil day is coming to your life. When the day of evil comes. That day can be pretty long. We don't know how many days that day will last. Everybody's life it comes. It will come. He says... You should be able to withstand the trials and the rigors of that day. And when it is over, you should be still 
standing. Like incredible men like Richard Wombren and all stood. 14 years later when they come, they come up even more stronger in the Lord than they went in. Should be able to stand. That's the purpose of the ministry of the word of God. God prepares us. He strengthens us through the word. Inside we are being changed. Glory to glory. Also strength to strength. Because until he comes, evil only will grow worse and worse and worse. And evil men will grow worse and worse and worse. And only one set of people, God's people, are called to stand there firm without compromising to the world outside. So, like Paul said, know your God. Know your Bible. The Word of God. Know the God of the Word. It's not like any other book. No other book is like this. There is a person and there are his words. Because when people read the Bible, they often come up confused. Often come up confused. Or we make what I call fundamental mistakes about God. Some mistakes are okay. But if you make a fundamental mistake about God, it can really mess up your entire life. Okay? People come confused. How can God be loved? God is love and God is a consuming fire. How is that possible? Right? No, it can't be. God is love. My God is love. My God is not a consuming fire. That's a fundamental mistake. My God is a consuming fire. Not a God of love. That's also a fundamental mistake. Our God is a God who is love. And our God is a consuming fire. Don't make fundamental mistakes. Let me explain to young people what is these kind of mistakes in practical life. Let's say you are in Dubai airport and got into your flight to Hyderabad. The aircraft is 777. Pilots are great. Treatment is good. Everything is good. Somehow you manage to go through everything and you are in your plane and you're sitting in your plane, the plane takes off, there is absolutely no hitch. Then you land in Hyderabad and you come out and it looks like a strange airport. It happens to be Hyderabad in Pakistan. You made a fundamental mistake that you didn't check carefully whether this plane is going to Hyderabad, India or Hyderabad, Pakistan. One fundamental mistake, little mistake. But it's a fundamental mistake because it takes you somewhere else. Or let's buy, let's say you spend 30,000 rupees and bought the best AC in town. It'll cost a little more for the best. Okay. Five star everything and you got the electrician to fix it and all that. The electrician made a small little mistake. He put your AC on a fire amp plug. And summer is here and you told, I'm going to have a blast. In should we really get a blast? Is there anything wrong with the system? No. The only problem is this one. That's why this has to go into this one. It has to be a 15 amp at least. One little mistake. But it's not little because it's a fundamental mistake. So people make these kind of mistakes 
because they don't understand the word or they don't spend enough trying to understand the word of God and the God behind the word. Believers can make some terrible mistakes in life and be totally unprepared when life turns tough. Life turns tough. We don't choose our sermons or the books we read and the speakers we listen to according to the word of God. We choose according to our worldview. Instead of allowing the word of God to define who I listen to and what I read. Did you get what I said? You have to allow this to define your worldview. Then when this starts getting in, you start discriminating about what I'm going to read, what I'm going to watch, whom I am going to listen to because these are all voices. But instead, what do we do? We have a very strong worldview and then we pick our books and our speakers according to that worldview and we make terrible mistakes in life and when the time of evil comes, we are not able to withstand. And it will come even for you young ones. Many of young ones have come through many evil days. More are on the way. It will come. Everybody. Because we look at life and you look outside, everything looks normal. But believers forget. Almost all believers forget sometimes, many all the time, that we are on a daily battle. We are on a daily battle. We are fighting powers of darkness. That's what Ephesians 6 is all about. Why do you have to do all these things? Why do I have to wear armor? Why do I have the sword of the spirit? Why do I have to pray without ceasing? Why do I have to do all these things? Because God says you are not fighting flesh and blood. To fight flesh and blood, even if he's a nine foot giant, all you need is a sling if you're good with it. One sling, one stone, you can bring him down. But how do you fight powers of darkness? And whether you like it or not, you are fighting powers of darkness. And they are fighting us. There are forces, incredibly powerful forces arrayed against us in the spiritual realm. Very, very powerful forces. They are powerful. The Bible calls them rulers and authorities. And we know the power on earth where earthly rulers and authorities can impose. The power of earthly authorities we know. We saw in news a couple of weeks back when the, the guy from Haryana, that fake Baba, whatever his name, Rahim or whatever, when he had to be arrested, he claims to have 60 million followers. It made no difference. His followers came in lakhs. But once an order is passed by the court, the authorities gear up for the whole. To arrest him, it cost them 35 lives. But they got him and they put him in. The army was sent in, the police were sent in, the CRPF was. So you be no power of rulers and authorities on earth. We are talking about rulers and power 
principalities in air where all our weapons won't even make a dent on them. You blow a nuclear blast, Satan won't even sneeze. It doesn't affect him at all. So you're talking about real powers and rulers who are arrayed against man, especially God's own people. And they are everywhere. They are as comfortable and working in the classrooms of Ivy League University as much in the dark street where drugs are being sold. They are everywhere. You may go to the best university in the world and think, oh my God, this is demon free. God says, no, <laughs> they are right there. Completely controlling the environment and the teaching. Oh, demons are only in those dark alleys where you see the prostitutes and the drug peddlers. God says, they are there too. They are here too, listening. They may not be inside, they may be outside listening. Unless you brought them in. Jesus said the devil is the ruler of this world. Who said? Jesus said. In John chapter 14 and verse 30. I no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world. Who said this? God said this. Okay. God said, who is the ruler of this world? The devil is the ruler, not of the earth, of this world system in which we live. He is the ruler of this world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, he is called the God of this age. Every generation, he is the God of every generation. Age here means generation. He is the God of every generation. And scripture says, he has the power to blind minds. Can mind blind your mind? You may come here, he can, unless you choose to believe, he can blind your mind. You can go through the entire two-hour sermon, mean nothing, understand nothing, be untouched and go, because he has the power to blind. He has. So they are very powerful. Don't underestimate the devil. They are very evil. Power in itself is neutral. Please remember. Power is neutral. Nuclear power runs hundreds of nuclear reactors around the world. Right? That everybody is worrying about a madman sitting in North Korea. That's also because he's got something which is called nuclear power. Is it true? So power is neutral. But the power of the devil is not neutral. It is evil. It is evil. The power, why is everybody afraid? India has nuclear weapons. Pakistan has nuclear weapons. Israel has nuclear weapons. Britain has. US has. Russia has. China has. There are a few other countries who have. They won't say they have. Israel doesn't say they have, but they have. But nobody is talking about these nuclear weapons. Why? Because they know there is control over it. But everybody is worried about this one man. Why? Because they know that man is evil. Man is evil. Now don't worry about his nuclear power. Why? Can you withstand a nuclear blast? No, you cannot. So why don't we worry? Because you know your word. There's nothing in the word about any nuclear attack coming from the east. It's nothing. It's all told where it will come from. Not from the east. East, there will be 200 million army that will come at the end, but there is nothing starting in the east. It will start 
in the north and the south. So if you know your word, you won't break your head over Korea. Okay, that's why our courage doesn't come because of other events. Our courage and our boldness comes because we know our God, we know our word. Okay, so power of the devil, he uses it for evil. Power is neutral, but he uses it for evil. The devil and his forces are evil. Who said it? Jesus said it. John chapter 10 and verse 10. The thief, he calls the devil the thief. He does not come except the only purpose he comes is to steal, to kill and he's not even satisfied with that. He wants to destroy you completely. Destroy you. Completely. That you never rise again. He comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. So he's powerful and he's evil. So he's powerful his powers are powerful and they are evil. Not only that, the enemy you and I face is very crafty. Very crafty. The first introduction of the devil to us by God in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. The serpent was more cunning. The first thing you hear about the devil is, and his powers of darkness are, they are very, very cunning or crafty. So you have an evil, crafty power against us. Powers against us. And this evil, crafty power, scripture says in 2 Corinthians 2.11, he has his devices. Not talking about your apps. He has his schemes. He has, he is planning and plotting and scheming against every child of God all the time. It is not a five-year scheme. It's a lifelong scheme. He's not sitting idle. You may sit idle. You may daydream. He doesn't. He's scheming all the time because he has millions and millions of demons on charge. He knows everyone. He knows Chandana. He knows this little one, Deepika. He knows everyone. He's been there from the beginning. He knows what you watch. He knows what you read. You know what you speak. He knows he's got a database on you completely and he schemes according to your database. That's what it means. That's what Google and Amazon all are trying to do. They have a database on everyone. They are building a database on everyone and they will allow you to shop accordingly. Ultimately, that's one because it's maths. At the end of the day, it's certain permutation and combination. You know the choices you will make because you have made these choices over a period of time. You are not going to make those choices. So they look at Sandana, she's made this choice. They look at Peter, he has made. So there's no point tempting him in these areas. He's not interested. But database, he's interested in these areas. Tempt him in these areas. She's weak in this area. Don't intimidate her in those areas because she will stand. This area, she will fall. They are scheming. Yes, king. So he is powerful, he's evil, he's crafty, and he says, we should not be, I should say here, should not be ignorant of his schemes. Should not be ignorant of his schemes. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles. 
the schemes of the devil. Be able to. The Bible will forever, over and over and over, over, it will be told. That's why we are asked to put on the whole armor. Whole armor. Partial armor won't do. Whole armor. Like if you go to Hyderabad, if you go back, you will see policemen standing, especially if the CM or somebody is passing, you will see the khaki clad policemen standing there like this. Security. Because no threat. You go to JNK, go to Kashmir, you go to Srinagar, is that how the cops walk? Do they walk alone? Do you see how they walk? Full body armor? Elbows, knees, feet, chest, everything, the vital parts are correct because they don't know where the bullet is going to come from. So suddenly you see these both are cops, but they are dressed differently. Because one is very, very, very aware. Very, very aware. God is telling us, you are facing an unseen, unseen, powerful, evil, crafty, scheming enemy. Be careful that you are armored. You wear your armor, your full armor every day, all the time. Full armor. Partial armor won't do. Full armor. I know people who had their full body armor and still they got shot because there was a gap from here. You know, the armor is put in like this and they shot him through the side. In that gap. Understand what you and I are facing. Be aware. This is not to scare you, but it is to make us aware. We are in a real battle, a struggle. The devil, if you have noticed, if you have noticed, very seldomly attacks openly. Very never. Usually never does he come openly. But when he, as the Bible says, when he transforms himself as an angel of light, we are caught unawares. Yes, sometimes he roars like a lion. Sometimes, often, he glides in like a serpent. If you have seen the original Mowgli cartoon of Disney, remember? There is this Shere Khan who is after Mowgli. Everybody knows Shere Khan is after him. But there is another fellow who is equally dangerous. His name is Ka. Look into my eyes. Everybody talks about Shere Khan, Shere Khan, Shere Khan, Shere Khan. But the dangerous fellow was, another fellow was there. Who is that? Very nice. Nice music. Lovely. Look into my eyes. Yes. The devil comes in different ways. Sometimes he's the roaring lion. Most of the time with this slimy, gliding, he creeps in. You don't even aware. You're not even aware he's there in your house. He can come at us openly through men who violently persecute the believing church. Ephesians 4.14 Ephesians 4 That we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. 
Either you can have very apparent, you see, persecution. Churches burn, people kill, pastors beheaded, all that thing, very apparent intimidation. Or it can be the other side. Also men, in cahoots with the devil, crafty, cunning, deceitful, plotting. What do they do? They don't look like that. They come so nice, smooth like butter. When they speak, they will preach. They will preach. And they are fantastic preachers. Fantastic. But the whole idea is to make you waver in your faith. That you are not even sure what you actually believe in. And when the day of trouble comes, you realize there is nothing inside for you to be able to stand. So the devil also infiltrates the church through false teachers and their crafty, crafty works. Meaning, he uses both. He uses both in English, we say force and fraud. He intimidates and also deceives. And he is the most cunning, actually, in the West, if you look. He's the wiliest, the most cunning. When he succeeds in convincing us that he does not exist. Does not exist. You know, the more, in the human terms, the more intelligent you become, meaning the more you learn, more degrees you acquire, you will see most people become atheists. They don't believe in God and they don't believe in the devil. And that's a fantastic work of the devil. Fantastic. Fantastic work of the devil. The smartest work the devil has done is not just intimidation and fraud, is that he has made a huge chunk of humanity believe that he does not exist. Western world especially. Western world especially. Where we have been so conditioned in our thinking according to psychology. According to psychology. Even the courts finally say, ah, circumstances, psychology, let him go. Have you ever seen in any verdict of any court saying the devil had a part to play in this crime? Have you heard anybody when they are in trouble saying, devil, why did you do this? They say, God. How could you allow this, oh God? Never does anybody blame the devil. How well he has conditioned our minds. The adversary scripture says has fiery darts we have forgotten. Fiery. Ephesians 6.16 says fiery, fiery darts of the wicked one. And when he talks about fiery darts of the wicked one, these are not really like our astras and our kurukshetra war. It is not like that. This is spiritual. That is why we should frame, know our views about the world from this. About God, about ourselves, and about our adverts. Don't even believe what you think about yourself. Believe what the word of God says about you. I believe in my heart. I shall be led by my heart. God says the heart is deceitful above all. Believe that. Believe that's true. That's true. You know, I got a degree and I spent six years in the university. I, I, I am a, I am, I, I use my reason. My son, do not lean on your understanding. Don't. 
All the higher education places are all in the hands of the devil and the demon. They control academia. So don't put any trust in any of these things. You have to believe what God says, first what God says, and what God says about himself, what God says about you and me, and what God says about the devil. One, when you study this word and see what the word of God talks about the devil and his strategies, two of the major satanic tactics throughout history. If you study the word and history, one is murder, the other is mixture. Actually, the entire Bible can be read, the acts of the devil in the Bible can be read in terms of these two. Either it is murder or it is mixture. Through murder, Satan tries to kill off the godly seed, starting with Abel. Where he can use intimidation and murder, he will kill them off. He will kill them off. Two kinds of murder. One is physical murder. Okay. Physical murder. You kill that, Abel is gone. Abel cannot be a witness. He is gone. And you will see murders continuously aimed at God's people throughout the Bible. So they will not speak. The other murder is what is called slander. There's a difference between gossip and slander. Gossip is when you sit together and you talk nonsense, which you shouldn't be talking. Slander is when you are deliberately using falsehood to attack a person's reputation so that he will have no more credibility anymore. So slander is a weapon the devil uses against men of God who preach to see that nobody listens to them anymore. So one of the tactics of the devil in countries where Christianity is opposed or not allowed is real murder. In other places, he uses slander. Understand, he uses murder. You look at when Moses is going to be born and whole scale murder. When Jesus is going to is born, whole scale murder. And then after that, the murder just continues. There is murder, intimidation as a tactic. The other one is mixture. <clears throat> Where he cannot use force, like Hyderabad, openly he cannot use force and murder. He uses mixture. Everybody knows the mixer you buy from the market. It's something like that. What is mixture? Mixer is compromise. Murder did not work in Egypt because God used even more force. So intimidation didn't work. God used what the Americans talk about, overwhelming force. So he let the Israelites go. But when Israelites came out, he realized God is with them. You cannot use force. So we have to use another tactic. What is that tactic? In free societies, he uses is what is called mixture. If you see when they came out in Exodus chapter 12. Yeah. You don't have it? 38? 12, 38? A mixed multitude went up with them also. They came out of Israel, 600,000 men, women and children, all kosher Jews. And then along with them who came? A mixed multitude. And if you read their account, 
these are the guys who started and created all the trouble. The mixed multitude. It's a mixture. Mixed. Numbers chapter 11 and verse 4, scripture will say, 11 and verse 4 will say, do we have it? The rabble, another voice that is used is the word a rabble. Okay, now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. They were the Israelites and there were this mixed multitude who came out of Egypt. They saw the signs and the wonders and the powerful. So when Israel left, they also put the blood, they also came behind them. They saw the power of the God. But they are not sanctified, they are not one with God, they are not cleansed, they are not nothing, they just followed the crowd. But when they followed the crowd part of the way, they are mixed. And they started. When they started, all the others also started. Who started it? The mixed multitude. That's the way the devil does. By mixture, Satan compromised Israel. Starting with the Moabites, women being sent to them, to Baal, to idolatry, to alliances with Egypt, Assyria and Babylon. You will see finally they were so mixed. God had to send them into captivity. So the question is, which is more successful? Murder or mixture? Depends upon the culture you are living in. Depending upon the culture you are living in. If you are living in China, murder is successful. If you are living in India, mixture is successful. You see wasp, bees that sting. If you want to catch the bees, what should you do? Just take a jar of water, add a little honey into it and put a funnel. Every bee will come in and drown. Why do they come? Because of the honey. Why do they die? Because of the water. That is mixture. That's how the devil compromises the churches during the time of peace. That's what Jeremiah was talking about at the time of peace. Let me ask you a question. Do you hear about a drug epidemic in North Korea? No. Do you hear about a drug epidemic in Saudi or Iran? Because the devil doesn't need that there. He's killing the Christians off by beheading. Do you hear a drug epidemic in the Western nations? Yes. Is it the same force behind both? Yes. That's how compromise comes. So if we don't understand the powers that are working behind and why we are so compromised. We ourselves, you are struggling to listen. Why are we so compromised? You go to an underground church anywhere in the world. You think they will struggle to listen? They are risking their life for a sermon. You think they will struggle to listen? No, they won't. You know, I have preached in underground churches. They don't. They will, you tell the timing, they will come anytime because we had to change the timings to see the police didn't catch us. It could be six in the morning, it could be eight in the night, it could be different locations, different Sundays, it didn't matter, they would be there and they would listen. 
And it didn't matter you are a mother with twins, two babies and your husband is in jail. They would still carry the babies and come at six in the morning because they knew this was their life. But when we are compromised, we are compromised during peace. And we are not compromised by God. God never compromises us. We are never compromised by God. We were compromised by the enemy through the world of which he is the ruler. He either intimidates or he mixes. Read the book of Judges. And finally a man, specially chosen, his birth is mentioned like Jesus before he is born, separated from the womb, Nazari, no wine, everything, and the Philistines finally realize, the enemies of Israel finally realize, you know what? You can't win this guy. Samson is too strong. Impossible to intimidate him. He's too powerful. It is too strong. So what did they do? They compromised him. They got a jar full of water and poured a little honey into it and gave it to him. And he went for the honey and he drowned. You understood the story? Forty days in the wilderness, Jesus. Hungry, tired, the devil came. With what? Intimidation? No, with honey. With honey. He didn't try to intimidate. He knew, he knows Jesus very well. You can't fight him. You're not going to win with him. But I can try a little mixture. If you are the son of God, imagine how sweet his voice must have sounded. If you are the son of God, you're hungry. He didn't say, he knows who he is. Why don't you tell these stones to be bacon? No, he didn't say. He knew he's a kosher eating Jew. Bread. Bread. How smooth talking. But he didn't win. When he didn't win with honey, then scripture shows for the rest of his ministry, intimidation began through the people. So the devil uses both force and fraud. He uses both intimidation and mixture. God tells us, be always be prepared. Because we think the devil will directly come and intimidate you. No, he intimidates you through people. Intimidates you through people. If you are a wife who wants to come go to church and listen to the word of God, he will intimidate through your husband who doesn't like the word. He's not interested. Sunday morning he will create 101 reasons why you should not go. And you are intimidated. And if intimidation doesn't work, what will they use? They use fraud. Sunday morning I am not well. Ah, ah, don't go honey today. I don't think I will survive. By the time church timings is over, he's back and walking. Nicely. You think the devil comes and does it directly? No, he doesn't. He uses people. He's a fraudster, a trickster from the beginning. He knows how to deal with each one. Israel was always threatened by outside forces. And they were also made to compromise from within. Finally, they were so weak that they had to go into captivity. 
and happens to people too today in the church worldwide. You're so intimidated or so compromises, you are living in bondage, in captivity. Like I said, you go to many, many parts of the world, like Saudi, Iran, China, North Korea, so many. Do you see churches worship like us? Worship like us? No. They cry and they weep. They cry and they weep. They have nothing like this, no instruments, nothing. They just cry and weep for the joy of being able to worship God without dying. They make it one Sunday, they are lucky and they are grateful. They talk about their prayer meetings, not like our prayer meetings. Their prayer meetings, they pray. They pray and pray and pray where they say their eyes and nose, everything is one mixture. They are crying and crying and crying out to the Lord. And you think they are crying out because they are persecuted. No, they are crying for the free nations. Because God is able to lay our burden on their hearts. Isn't it funny? Brutal force has been used for centuries to destroy the church. And it started in Acts 8.1. Scripture says in Acts chapter 8, And Saul was consent to his death, and that time a great persecution arose again. That's when persecution started. Has continued till today. So when you look into the free world like North America or Europe and all, is it force? No, hardly. It is compromise. And how do you compromise? One brick at a time. One brick, very subtly. One brick at a time. One guy called, called Darwin comes in a couple of hundred years ago and says, evolution. Evolution. Suddenly all in the West said, evolution. Churches also buckled under pressure and said, evolution. What is that? Debunking chapter 1 of the Bible. Did the devil come and say evolution? No, he used a man. Evolution threatens which chapter? Chapter 1. Chapter 1 says God created. You learn in schools now around the world, man evolved. What brick at that? Did the governments and the churches around the world have the courage to stand up and say, we don't believe our schools will still continue in creationism? What was taught for hundreds of years were taken over a little period of time and evolution was transplanted instead of creationism. And then you took one brick off. Brick. So if evolution can be compromised, creation can be compromised, then the question started in the churches. Is Adam historic or symbolic? Half of the church said, Adam is only a symbolic figure. There was nobody, a historic figure like Adam. One brick more of the building, gone. And we don't realize these things matter. They do realize matter. One by one by one by the building blocks of your faith. Then, is marriage between one man and one woman? Is it or not? Suddenly, do you see one by one compromises coming? Even believers, majority of believers in the Western world, Christians in the Western world believe homosexual unions are okay. 
What do they believe in? What about the doctrine of hell? Jesus preached more about hell than heaven. Yet we never hear a sermon on hell on TV. They preach more about heaven and never about hell. And great, great theologians have gone back and said there is no hell. Ayo, do you see one more brick? What about water baptism? Is it an adult baptism or an infant baptism? So one more brick. Now what about baptism? It is immersion or sprinkling? We don't realize why fellowship is not possible. Because the only way you can fellowship is if you are willing to compromise. That's why Jude, the final but one letter says, content for the faith which was handed once and for all to the saints. And Paul tells Timothy, what you have heard me teach. I heard from Christ, you heard from me. Pass it on to others who will faithfully hand it over to generation to generation because our faith has to be founded on the truth of God and nothing less. And if you take the bricks off, when the day of evil comes, you will not be able to stand because one by one by one you have compromised on the fundamentals of faith. And when you are compromising, you don't realize these things are important. These things are very, very important. Very important. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 are important. If Genesis 1 can be debunked, then Genesis 2 also can be debunked. Right? How many parents sitting here, how many men and women sitting here really believe that man should leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and become one? How many of you will agree that as the word of God? No, you can't stay with me. Who said you have to leave? So Genesis 2 also can be bunked. If you can compromise on Genesis 2, then we can definitely compromise on Genesis 3, which is the big chapter. There is no original sin. Don't tell me that. If 1 and 2 can be debunked, why can't you debunk 3? Then if there is no original sin, then why do you need a savior? That's why Paul says, we all have become enemies of the cross. There is no cross needed. There is no savior needed. Because we have compromised one by one by one on the fundamental truths of who God is and what has happened. This is not theology. This is history of real events that took place. So one by one by one we compromise then. What about righteousness? What about persecution? What about suffering? Nah, no suffering brother. Name it, claim it, take it, eat it. There's no suffering. Don't preach suffering in my church. There's nothing like that. Why have you reached a point like this? It's because the mixture the devil brought. Suddenly you see the landscape of truth is shrinking. Truth has become so small. So suddenly you see there is no conflict between the church and the world. That is the absolute successful plan of the devil. No conflict. When Acts 8, 1 begins, that is when the church is beginning, conflict is between the church and the world. Today, is there any conflict between the church and the world? No. There's no conflict. 
most of the free world, there is no conflict at all. In the light of what you have heard so far, can we take a look at our hearts? What do you see? Mixture? What do we see? A mixture? We have mixed the world and the word. We have compromised on fundamentals. The fundamentals don't even matter to us. We are willing to forego, now that we know the truth, we are willing to forego convictions and get our marks on what the world says. Get our promotions based on what companies will say. Many, many Western companies in which you are working in, wait and see. Soon they will put in guidelines. And if you don't believe in these, these things which are anti-God and anti-Bible, you will not be able to work with them. Is Google editing everything? Is Facebook editing everything? Did one guy lose his job because he wrote a post? Would he have lost that job 15 years ago? No. Why did he lose? Simple reasoning. He said men and women are fundamentally differently made. That was his point he was making. For that they fired him. Isn't that what the word says? You see, it's coming home. It's coming home very, very close to everyone. It will come home. And the thing is that when that day and the hour comes, will we be ready? Will we be prepared to stand like Daniel and say, you know what, this is what I believe. I'm sorry I cannot compromise in it. Or like Daniel's three friends and says, this is what I believe. I know it is true. We are willing to get burned for it. That's why there is no conflict in the compromising church with the world. That is the successful plan of the devil. We call it tolerance. The problem with tolerance is the first thing that happens to you and to me when we are tolerant to things that are anti-God. First, most dangerous, and we don't even realize it unless I point it to you, you will not even realize it. Your loyalty is compromised. What is compromised? The loyalty is compromised. So when Absalom took over Jerusalem, most of Israel went to Absalom. So was David a good king or a bad king? Was he a man anointed and picked and chosen by God? Did Israel know that? But as soon as Absalom came in, most of Israel went over. A few faithful went with David. Why? They were compromised. They were not loyal. The first thing when you compromise, your heart is divided, is you're not loyal. You're not loyal. You're not loyal to God. You're not loyal to anything. You're not even loyal to yourself. That's the most dangerous thing that happens to us which we are not aware of. We're not loyal. We're not loyal. So we have a generation of Christians rising up who are loyal to nothing. And the problem, spiritual problem is this, when I am not loyal to God and His truth, I will be slowly departing away from faith, which I am not even aware of initially. The scripture says the devil seduces. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, scripture says, the spirit expressly says that, expressly is to put a lot of warning, lot of pressure, Lot of importance to what will happen. Says that latter times some will depart from the 
faith, how did they depart? Because they were not in church? Because they were not reading? They were not listening? They were not? No. They were giving heed to deceiving spirits and the doctrines of the demons. Who is bringing these doctrines? Not man. Man is the one who is speaking. But who is teaching them? The devil is teaching them. And people are departing from the faith simply because their hearts were never loyal to the word of God. They are already compromised on fundamentals. Honestly, you need to sit and think, what do you think about creation and evolution? It will show you in your answer paper. What do you think about marriage? These are normal questions in the West. Creation or evolution? If you are a creationist in any one of the Ivy League universities in the US, you will be terminated. You won't get a job. That's simple as that. They call themselves a free society, but free only if you subscribe to their views. Otherwise, it's not free. Did you see a 34-year young man yesterday, therefore yesterday at Berkeley University? Conservative young guy. The first time they tried to get somebody over there, the Antifa leftists came in, they burned the building, they had to call the police, cancel the meeting, everything. But therefore yesterday they allowed him to speak. And how much did it cost them? $1.5 million for security to have one speech from a guy who does not believe in what you say. The leftists were trying to protest. The government said, we are providing you the security. This is free speech. He's allowed to speak. Ben Shapiro, young guy, 32-year-old young guy. That's the point the Western society has come. That if you don't believe what they say, they will not allow you to speak. Can you imagine? 1.5 million dollars spent for security for a person to speak in the land of the free. What was his values? Conservative values. You cannot be conservative and speak. will not allow you to speak. How did America, a land which was built on all these premises, the land of the free in God we trust, come to a point that if you trust God you cannot speak? Because one by one, the foundational pillars of your faith were removed. You were compromised. One by one, you are compromised. And you don't realize it's happening to all of us. We go into the world, we see stuff, we watch stuff, we hear stuff. Inside, we are also agreeing to this stuff. We are getting compromised. Getting compromised. That's what Jeremiah was talking about. We get slowly compromised. The problem is once you are so compromised and the day of evil comes, whatever it is, your personal day of evil comes, you realize you don't have the strength to stand and to handle this problem. The only way you know is compromise. And one of the most powerful methods of seduction the devil uses, the devil uses, is signs and wonders. You see, Jesus' sermons could stand on its own without any sign or wonder. Jesus warned us, watch out for the last day sign and wonder movement. Mark 13 and verse 22. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and show signs and wonders. What is their, what is the core of their ministry? Sign and wonders. It's not their preaching. It's not their preaching. Jesus' core of his ministry was his preaching. Signs and wonders were just an attestation. 
Signs and wonders. As soon as he saw people were coming for signs and wonders, he said, leave them, let's go teach. I need to preach in other places. But you need to realize, another ministry has begun in the last days. The ministry is around this. Signs and wonders. When you go for these meetings, you ask people who have gone, when they come back, do you remember what they preached? Uh, not sure what they preached. What happened? You have to know what happened. Scripture says, to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Me ask you when in the city, all these sign and wonders meetings that are taking place, are they aimed at the unbeliever or is it aimed at the believer? At the believer. It's not aimed at the unbeliever. Aimed at the believer. You go look at the people who are there in the meeting. They are not Hindus and Muslims. They are all Christians. And they are the ones who are getting deceived. Remember when Moses went to the Pharaoh and asked for a sign, he put his rod and his rod become a snake. Even the Pharaoh's magicians were able to duplicate the first sign. So there is a real and there is a counterfeit. So there is an all-saving, real Savior called Jesus Christ. There is only one name and one mediator between God and man. And his name is Jesus Christ. Yet there is also a co-redemptress called Mary. One billion Christians believe in her than the more than they believe in Jesus. How did that happen? How did that happen? You've been seduced. You've been deceived. There are real, real prayer meetings of believers, saints who come together. There is also intercession of dead saints. How did that happen? When the church met every time for a prayer meeting, there were no dead people among them. But today, one billion plus people believe more in the intercession of dead saints than the living ones. How did that happen? Mixture. Compromised. There is the blood of Jesus that saves, purifies, sanctifies, cleanses. And there is also all these signs that are happening where plastered statues are bleeding blood. And more people go there trusting in that blood than in the blood of God's own son. How did these things happen? Do you know your word? Do you believe in the God of this word? what if the warnings in the letters are all about. In Ephesians 4 and verse 14 Paul will warn that we should no longer be actual word is infants tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Every wind. Infant. If you show a rattle here he will come here. Another fellow shows a bigger rattle he will go there. He's not sure where to go. God says so many Christians are like this. One man comes and says, I have a new revelation. (gasps) That sounds true. Next fellow comes, I have a better revelation. That is also true. Meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting, all for new revelations. Every revelation in the Bible is old. Canon was closed 2000 years ago. You see? Infants. The problem with this is, People are not attending meetings 
to be grounded in the word of god they are going there for the thrill of a new thing it's like a magician the problem is this you know every magician after one round of the city he is finished because now he needs new tricks otherwise the same crowd will not come oh that guy he will take rabbit out and he put one kerchief one bird okay is there anything so he will advertise new things and many many men of god and women of god have become magicians because they have to keep on bringing new new things because this has become an entertainment and not structuring in the word of god to prepare you for the day of evil and the day of judgment entertainment because the rest of the world everything is entertainment right there is no more teaching in your schools and colleges is there a flu you are called what facilitators since that what elt says facilitators they are no longer teachers anymore you are supposed to entertain people you see we get all these models in our head from the world and when we come to the church we struggle we squirm as if there are ants in the chair why because our minds have been conditioned by the seduction of the devil outside we want a thrill how was today's service worship was bland what does that mean you didn't worship the question you should immediately ask it you didn't worship what happened you got a problem in your life no 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 the worship leader was in on fire oh you he needs to be on fire for you to worship we don't even know what worship is you have to listen to people after church service how was worship very flat ask john at in the island of patmos was your worship flat on the lord's day he said sir you don't know what you're talking about what worship is how was the word too long incense you all want a new rattle something shiny every sunday i'm not talking about here i'm talking about generally what i hear from pastors so if people are not growing into the in the truth of god's word and loyal to it they are easily swayed and they will never grow and they will fall away when the day of evil comes because they have no power to stand That's what Jeremiah said. If you are weary with footmen, what will you do when the horsemen? They haven't been the horsemen of the Book of Revelation. I don't think have been released yet. There are different kinds of horsemen, four different kinds. Do we? Our minds conditioned by the world or by the word? Do we look at things and judge ourselves spiritually? scripture says a man who judges himself is not judged a spiritual man judges all things judge do we how do we judge ourselves let me tell you one way simple way luke chapter 6 verse 26 what to you when all men speak well of you for so did their fathers to the false prophets let me up let us this this all have to be applied this is not for uh, 2000 years back this is all practical things do all your carnal worldly friends in your school in your college in your workplace speak well about you if so woe to you you have no testimony in your workplace woe to you you are standing for nothing that's why they speak well about you you are a mixture woe to you i didn't say he said 
Do you think Daniel's secular friends, the other satraps and other dignitaries in the empire of Babylon speak well about him? No, they didn't. They knew he was right, but they hated him. They couldn't stand him. They wanted to get rid of him. Do they speak well about him? And if you are in ministry, if you are a pastor, if your compromised, carnal, worldly congregation members speak well about you, woe to you, pastor. You have compromised the word. That's why they are not getting you out. They want you there. And if you are a parent, if your carnal, worldly children speak well about you, woe to you. You have compromised. That's why they love your company. Oh, to you. Rejudge yourself in the light of God's word. You don't have to be obnoxious. Joseph was not obnoxious. Daniel was not obnoxious. They just stood for what they knew was true and what they believed and they were willing to pay with their lives and they were hated. Did Joseph do anything to his brothers? Why did they hate him? Because they knew he was right and they were wrong and therefore they hated him. They wouldn't even speak to him. But he was the most kind, loving brother. When the father said, will you go? He said, I will go. Where are they? In Sisham. When he walked 50 miles and reached Sisham, nobody was there. So he asked them the, the other place, Dothan. When he reached, they asked him where it is. They said he has gone to Dothan. He walked another 20 miles to serve a set of people who hated him, who didn't talk to him. There was nothing wrong with him. There was something wrong with them. Woe to you. When all men speak well of you. Is that how we judge? Is that how we take compliments? They should compliment your work. If you are honest, integrity and all. But they say you are really cool. Man, I enjoy your company. You should be wondering what's wrong with me. Why do they enjoy my company? Have I become like them? not talking about your integrity in your workplace, your hard work and ethics. I'm talking about who you are in your workplace, in your school, in your college. It's a sure, sure sign you are a compromiser. For Jesus is the truth. And Jesus told Pilate, who are on the Lord's side are fighting for the truth and with the truth. Jesus was called a friend of sinners by the Pharisees. But he called only the disciples who followed him till the end, my friends. That's the difference. We say, Jesus, friend of sinners. Who said that? The Pharisees said that. Jesus said, my disciples, you are my friends. He was friendly, but everybody wasn't his friend. He was approachable. He was likable. All that, yes. So if you are such a nice, cool, loving, tolerant person, why did they kill him? Why was he crucified? He was crucified because he refused to compromise to the standards of this world. And if you and I are crucified, let it be because we refuse to compromise. In Ephesians 6.30, that's what scripture says. Can we have the next one ready? Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil there. Our problem is 
we don't even know what is evil and what is more evil one of the fundamental things which i dislike doing because of experience but all the time the calls keep coming is about deliverance you know deliverance somebody is persist pastor can you deliver i can't deliver god can and god has used me but i don't like deliverance not because i don't want to see somebody delivered it's because most of the people do not know how it works and what are the after effects i will tell you a bit let's say peter jesus said this if you cast a evil spirit out and leave it empty that fellow will go out and come back with seven others more more wicked more wicked so what is this more wicked fellow let us say peter is i'm ex- explaining to you what is more wicked so that we understand according god's terms and not our ideas because for us more wicked it means something else peter is let us say his demon possessed i do a deliverance on him in god's mercy he's delivered the demon goes after that he doesn't come to church he's not interested he doesn't listen to the word he doesn't study the word two years later he is a young unmarried man living with a separated married woman and having children through her has he become more wicked now do we see it has more wicked because the tv says it is okay it is acceptable he says sab karte yaar or is an alcoholic drinking from morning till night we'll say yaar everybody drinks we didn't see that has more wicked we saw only this manifestation with the different voices evil we didn't see the other was more dangerous that's our problem these things are nothing you can cast them out they will go but after that what will you become is the question what will you become that's how it works that's why jesus said be careful stand in the word walk in your deliverance 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 fill yourself stand because you have no clue what the devil is he's cunning he's crafty he's evil he's powerful he's a seducer when he knows one fellow has gone out he'll come back and take you in another direction you won't even know you have gone in that direction and you're lying in the pit but you're looking at your former condition and saying i'm much better off than before god says you know you are in a deeper pit today than before that one could have taken you 5 minutes to get you out this will take you years before you are straightened out Do we really know how the kingdom of God works and the kingdom of darkness works? That's why one of these fundamental rules I have said, please don't call me if you want deliverance. Come to the church, sit under the word, because then I know you are growing, you are standing stable, you are under supervision, you are under cover, and then I can handle you and you will be strong and you will be mightily used by God. Otherwise, there is no guarantee. there is no guy when your doctor when you have a sickness will not give you any guarantee until he says listen to my instruction and follow this course he doesn't give a medicine and said do whatever you want you will be well he won't say that but people expect that from the pastor and expect that from god and god says it doesn't work that way honey so understand this don't get into a situation where you are in a deeper pit than before because the kingdom of darkness is not a myth it is real it is real and god is telling us prepare 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 for the day of evil will come when the day of evil comes you should be able to stand 
We don't understand God. Don't put God in a box. We don't understand how God works. One thing I liked, I mean, I mean, I listened to Nabil Qureshi maybe once or twice, but I had an immediate liking for him, not because he was a preacher, but he looks like Yuvaraj Singh. Have you noticed? He looks exactly like Yuvaraj Singh, like they were twins. And finally, both of them came out, of, both of them got cancer. Now, Yuvaraj Singh has come through cancer and is back in the circuit. Nabil Qureshi died of cancer. How do you judge God? How do you judge God? Do you know God? Yet Navil Qureshi died in triumph, in victory. How Yuraj one day will die, we don't know. Because when the day of evil came, he was able to stand. Because he was prepared and he was able to stand. And when everything was over, we see a dead body, but he's standing there in the presence of God, still standing. So we don't look at events and sicknesses and suffering and persecution like the world does. No, we don't. The outcome is not in our hands. The outcome is in God's hands. But what we do is learn from scripture, understand our God, know our God, love our God and stand through it all. And which side you will stand at the end of it, we don't know. It could be here or on the other side. Everybody who stood did not stand in this world. They stood on the other side. Ask Stephen. On April 10, 1952, Watchman Nee was arrested. May 30th, 1972, he died. 20 years in the prison. For what? For believing. Yet if you look at the charge sheet against him, you would think he was a thief and a common felon of the charge sheet against him by the communist government of China. He was probably one of the greatest saints of last century. Read his books. Even now I crack my head over his book and unable to understand the depth of his knowledge of this living God. 20 years in prison. Died in prison. One year before he died, his wife Charity died. They never allowed her to meet her. Him to meet her. Then when he died in the labor camp, they did not even announce, tell anybody he's dead. Nobody was called for his funeral, was cremated like a common criminal. Watchman knew, Ask Pastor Vijay and all the others who have read Watchman knew. Still we read, every day we read. It's like one of the sacred texts for us after the Bible. A month after he was dead and cremated, his grandniece got a letter from the labor camp saying, He's dead. So when she went to collect his ashes, she went, met the supervisor of the labor camp who showed her a piece of paper and said, you can read it. I'm not supposed to show this. Nobody knows I have it. Read it. And then he hid it. And she asked the Lord, help me to memorize it. And she read that and memorized it. This was written by a watchman knee the day before he died with shaky hands and kept under his pillow. You know what was his last word before he died? This is what he wrote. Christ is the son of God who died for the redemption of the sinner and resurrected after three days. This is the greatest news in the universe. I die because of my faith in Christ Jesus. That is to stand till the end in the day of your trouble. That's what it means to stand. Trouble may pass you through. may not pass you through. But God says, will you stand? Will you stand? Can we stand if the day of evil comes as imprisonment? 
Unless we have been structured in the way God operates during this time of sin, during this period before it comes, we will never be ready. So we always prepare ourselves. Anyway, in good days or bad days, in prison or in free, it doesn't matter, Lord, we serve only one God and you and you alone. Can we stand in the day of evil if it comes as a job loss? You lost your job? And lost everything that you had? Will you be able to stand? Like the man named Job. Will you be able to stand? Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I go. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Will be able to stand? Just prepare for the day of evil. Or will we turn against God and surrender to Satan's anger and despair? That's what people do. When calamity comes, they get so angry with God. I'm not going to go to church. Why did you allow? I'm so angry. I'm so desperate. You know, that's what Job's wife said. You know what she said? His wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Why don't you compromise, man? What's the point in all your integrity? What did God do for you? That's the exact question the world, the devil asked. What's the, what's the meaning of your integrity? Did you get a promotion for being honest? Did you get a promotion for standing there in your company? Because the gospel, the word of God is not like what they are preaching on TV. That if you name it and claim it, you will become the head. No, usually you lose your head. And that's the gospel of Job's wife. What's the point of your integrity? Curse God and die. Compromise. Give the devil what he wants. At least he will take you up. Sometimes the day of evil comes as a temptation to sin. Whatever it is. Satan presents something so delicious, so desirable, so beautiful, so necessary for your happiness. Like the joke we got on Last week, early morning, the wife rises up and is putting makeup. Husband says, what are you doing? He says, iPhone X, facial recognition. My phone is not recognizing my face without makeup. So necessary. <laughs> why, are people, why do people don't have money? I'll tell you why people don't have money. Not because they gave it away to God or gave it away to God purpose. They don't have money because they bought all these desirable, necessary things. So we are to be prepared in advance to resist these things when the day of evil comes. Sometimes the day of evil comes in the form of lies. Satan attacks with all form of lies about God and about the ways of God. Question is, have you and I fortified ourselves with truth? Richard Wimbrun had no Bible in his cell for 14 years. The only Bible he had was in his head. His head. What he heard day and night where lies on a loudspeaker to all the prisoners about God. But he came back absolutely sure because inside he had been fortified with the truth. That's what we've been trying to do for nine years. Fortify each one of you with the truth. So when your hour of trial, you all won't be living here in this church all your life. You'll all grow up and go. 
But when you go and when your day of evil comes, you should be able to stand because you know in whom you have believed. You know what you have believed. Constant barrage. Constant barrage of lies. Lies of the devil. You're walking and living in sin. The devil keeps on coming with smooth words and telling you, you're good man, you're really cool, don't worry, you're cool, you're cool, you're cool, you're cool, you're cool. Or, you are innocent. You are doing everything possible to walk before God to the best of your ability, with the best of your knowledge, with the best of the strength the Holy Spirit has given you. You are walking in the best of your knowledge before God and you are blameless. Yet all you have in your life is calamity. That also doesn't sound like sound theology, but that happens. Ask Job. And like Job's friends, they come and every man, listen man, in our language, listen dude, let me tell you. This can't be happening to you. All Job's friends are prosperity preachers. This can't be happening to you. Look at us. Look at you. There must be secret sin in your life. That's why the poor man is saying, please, please, listen to me. I made a covenant with my eyes. I will not look at a wrong woman wrongly. Has any poor man, any widow ever gone hungry from my house? You tell me, tell me. You are telling me something wrong with me. I am checking my heart, checking my heart, checking heart, checking heart. As far as I see, I have done nothing wrong. These people are saying, no boss, you have done something wrong. You have definitely done something wrong. Read the book of Job. The problem is we sometimes get our theology all mixed up because we don't know God well and we don't know the word of God and the God of the word. That's why last week I said, Paul said, I know whom I have believed. Will you be able to say that? You are lying in a prison. Everybody has abandoned you. You have no family. You have no followers. You have no churches. Nothing. Everybody has abandoned you. You actually start hearing the devil say, Paul, I told you, you are wrong. Your doctrine is wrong. Your preaching is wrong. Your everything is wrong. No, I have not. Why? Because I know whom I have believed. So the book of Job is not about suffering. The whole theme of the book of Job is about the nature of God. Who is God and what he is like. Job knew his God. Therefore he hung in there with the footmen and with the horses. He stood there in the day of evil. Stood there in the day of evil. Why is this important? It's all important connected with the days in which we are living. This is Paul's first letter about the last days when people thought rapture had taken place. He said, beware of these things. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he said, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need I should write you. For you yourself know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief. It will come without any warning. No warning. Somebody, today's headline news, Fox News, it is there. Somebody has already prophesied. It is there in the news, secular news. The September 23rd, this will take place. I don't know why these idiots go on TV and tell all this stuff and confuse people. And there are millions who will listen to them and start preparing. On September 23rd, rapture will take place. Nobody will know. 
But when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. What do they say? Peace, peace, peace. Is that what you hear most of the time? Sermons, peace, peace, peace. Well, scripture keeps on telling, awake, 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 be watchful, be watchful, awake, stir yourself up, awake. They come and say, peace, peace, don't worry, safe. Chamberlain, the Prime Minister of Israel, promised to the people of England, there will be peace in our time. And Germany took over Europe. And he was kicked out of power, and the next man got in whose name was Churchill. He didn't promise them pleasant times or easy victory. He told them, he told his nation, I have nothing to offer you but blood, toils, tears, and sweat. But he said, if you stand, victory is sure. Churchill told his people what to expect. And therefore the people stood firm, and receive their goal, victory after years of war. Jesus promises victory in our war with Satan. But in promising victory, Jesus did not promise it will be quick and easy. He doesn't promise health and wealth to those who name it and claim it. On the other hand, scripture says in First Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. He says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which you are to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings that when his glory is revealed you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Now these people who wrote this could write this because not only did they believe in their Lord and what the Lord has told them, they knew it experientially. The man who wrote it ultimately was crucified upside down. It's no big deal. When they went to crucify him, he said, don't crucify me as you crucified my master. Crucify me upside down because I am not even worthy to die like my master. So crucify me upside down. That's how firm and strong they were in their faith. And they stood there in their day of evil. So scripture says, stand. It's the call of the apostles. Endure. Stand, 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 stand. Not the next one, but 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 to 5. Victory is promised to everyone who stands. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world of faith. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. If you believe in the real Jesus not these fairy tales you hear on TV. But if you believe in the real Jesus, God says, you will overcome. Because he has overcome. Revelation 12 verse 11 will say that you will overcome the devil. And they overcame the devil, him, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they put no price to their lives. They put no price tag to their life. They are willing to die for what they believed. They stood there in the day of evil. And the final promise is given in Romans 16, verse 20. You stand like that in faith. God says, don't worry. The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Satan cannot overcome. He's already defeated. Not only that, you can personally experience the defeat of Satan in your own lives. You can crush him under your feet. Stand 
firm. Stand firm. Stand firm. That's why the devil is after us. Tirelessly, persistently after us. And God says, don't go to sleep. Don't go to sleep spiritually. Don't go to sleep. If you were there yesterday, yesterday I told you physically, we tell you sleep. Rest enough so that you can work. But spiritually through the Bible, God says, sleeper, awake, awake. Don't go to sleep. Don't go to sleep. Don't go to sleep. Now as I close, a final illustration, maybe five minutes. You see, we don't even know our history well. Even I don't know my history well. That's why I said we. Because none of us can really know history well. The only history I know well and I believe absolutely true is the history recorded in this. Because the only history we have is the history of the victors and not the victims. You have read Kurukshetra? You have read Ramayana? Have you read Ramayana? Have you read Mahabharata? 100% Hindu population. Maybe around 80 to 85 to 90% of the Hindu population is of the lower caste. Do you read their history in your classics? So 85% of India's population doesn't have a history? Because history is the history of the victors in this world, not of the victims. This is the only history ever recorded which is 100% true. Because it gives you the history of the victors and the victims. So we don't even know our history. We don't know history. We learn history at school. That's not history. That's just a point of view of one particular victor. So now a new government has taken over, they are rewriting history. Rewriting history. What's happening in America? They are rewriting history. They want every sign of the confederate symbols all to be removed. History textbooks to be removed. So the question is going to ask, what is going to happen? Is Washington going to be named something else? Because all the founders of America were slave owners. You want to erase your history? Then what is your history? So a new generation will rise up without knowing your history, your past. That's what happened in the book of Judges, right? A generation grew up without knowing their history. That is why we frame our history from this. In Second World War, we know the history of the Second World War from the Western point of view, right? We know from the Western point of view. We know all Britain, America, we know. But much of the battle and much of the casualties were not actually on this side, which was on the Russian side. The Russians fought battles and lost people like none of the others. Do we know that? Do you read in your history books? Why? Because the history we study is written by the Western writers, not by the Russians. One of the greatest sieges of a city during the Second World War was a city called Leningrad, which is today called St. Petersburg. It was four years the city was under siege by the Germans. At the end of the siege, after four years, most of the city was dead. Half the city at least died of starvation. But in that city, 
was a man called, I cannot pronounce these Russian names, okay, it doesn't matter, it's a name. His name is Shostakovich. He was a musician. He's got a seventh symphony called the Leningrad. It is interesting, the story about his seventh symphony. Of the orchestra of which he had hundred people, there was only 15 left. The rest of them had died during the war. And this is happening during the war. Most One of the men who went for a recital is talking during the Second World War. I didn't recognize the musicians I knew from before because they were like skeletons. Eliasberg, the conductor, said, Dear friends, we are weak, but we must force ourselves to start work. And he raised his arms to begin. There was no reaction. The musicians were trembling. I remember the trumpeter didn't have breath to play his solo. And there was silence when his turn came around. He was on his knees, poor man. Eliasberg was waiting. He said, it is your solo. You are the first trumpet. Why don't you play? The trumpeter replied, I am sorry, sir. I haven't strength in my lungs. There was a terrible pause. Everyone asked him to try. Eliasberg said, I think you do have strength. And the trumpeter took up his trumpet and played a little. So the rehearsal continued. Another problem the orchestra faced was the colossal scoring of the work. To make up the numbers, Eliasberg recruited military players from the units defending the city and instituted an iron discipline at the rehearsals. One of the brass players, Viktor Koslov, recalls how his head span when he played and how people fell over at rehearsals because of exhaustion and weakness. But Eliasberg wouldn't accept any excuse for non-attendance for practice. For practice during the time of war, for a music recital. If a musician played badly or was late, they would lose their bread ration. If someone was late before, because of a bombing raid, he would accept the excuse only if there had been no warnings from the siren. One day a man came late because he had to watch them bury his wife that morning. But the conductor said there was no excuse and you would lose your ration today. By this means, the whole symphony was eventually performed and the results broadcast both on radio and over the loudspeakers pointed at the German lines. It must rank as one of the most glorious acts of defiance in which music has played a part. Koslov describes the opening moments of the concert. It was quite outside because the German artillery had stopped firing. Far and wide they heard the opening of the symphony. In apartments rising from empty apartments, empty streets, along front lines, trenches dug cheek by jowl with the invading army, citizens, soldiers clustered around radio sets. Even the Germans were listening. Sakhalov, an artly man, wrote in his journal, on the, 9th, on the night of 9th August 1942, May artillery squadron, the people of the great front line city were listening to Sashovich's symphony with closed eyes. It seemed the cloudless sky had suddenly become a storm bursting with music as the city listened to the symphony of heroes and forgot about war, but not the meaning of war. And his own part in the astonished story was scarcely less heroic. Sashulvik had volunteered for the Red Army, had been turned away because of bad eyesight. He applied to the People's Volunteer Brigades where he was accepted and dug trenches around Leningrad's outskirts. Later he joined the fire brigade, which was when Time magazine took a picture of him wearing a firefighter's helmet. The first two movements of the 7th symphony was written in Leningrad before the blockade was sealed. 
He played them to friends at a party as the first German bombs start began to fall. And when the news was tightened, the great adagio was written. And everyone got out who could, but he refused to go himself until the score was finished. And then he was ordered to leave. The fourth movement was written in Moscow. The final score was flown back to its Leningrad over enemy lines in a light aircraft. Leningrad never fell to the Germans. And though the siege lasted another 18 months for many people, that performance was the beginning and the turning point of the war. On the title page he had written to the historic confrontation now taking place between reason and obscurity, culture and barbarity, light and darkness. I dedicate my seventh symphony to our struggle against fascism, to our coming victory and to my native city of Leningrad. Both the conductor Elias Berg and the composer were determined that in the day of evil, they and their fellow musicians would stand and play. Can you imagine? Music. They decided, you know what? You can siege us, you can bomb us, but we are going to play once more, defy you to saying that we will still sing as long as we have life. And the war for the West Eastern Front changed because of one set of people who decided on the day of evil, we will stand. Think of our practices. This is, that's what I said, we have to understand history. How men and women have stood in the day of evil and changed nations. Because they refused to quit. Your day of evil will come, or maybe you're going through your day of evil. But God says, stand. Don't buckle. Stand. You are not alone. Stand. For God is with you. That's what Paul said. Everybody has deserted me. But Christ did not desert me. He stood beside me and strengthened me. That's the Christ we want to know. The real God. Not this myth. The real person of God. Understand that God through the word of God. Understand that God through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. And take his strength each day to stand there in when the day of evil comes. Don't compromise. Don't compromise. Don't compromise. Don't compromise in the little, little, little things. And in the big things. Because if you compromise when the day of evil will come. It will go. It will go with the flow. They will say peace, peace. But when sudden destruction comes, you will suddenly realize there is no strength to stand. One day you hear, I am not there. The next one will take his place. Next time you come, he is not there. Somebody should rise up and say, the Lord spoke to me last night and said, I am supposed to stand here today. That's how it has always worked for 2000 years in underground churches. One pastor is taken away, the next one stands. Some of the ones who had to stand were teenagers standing there trembling in their body but with the power of the Holy Spirit. Teenagers. Because they knew they had to stand and they had been always been taught to stand when the day of evil comes. Don't buckle. Don't buckle under pressure. I'm not talking about persecution. I'm talking about in your personal life when evil comes and you are tempted to compromise. Don't buckle. Stand there. Let people say what they want. We are not in this for the reputation of people. Doesn't matter. We don't live our lives before people alone. We live our lives before God. Stand. Now let us stand.
Let us pray. Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. Your word says, keep your eyes fixed on Christ Jesus. And this cloud of witnesses who have gone before us. In so many ways, these witnesses speak to a person who is standing today in the day of evil. Nabil Qureshi speaks as a young 34-year-old man who passed away yesterday to many. How to stand in the midst of cancer. And to glorify God and to preach Christ till your last breath. We are all called to stand. All called to stand. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood. We are fighting against uh, evil, crafty, cunning, scheming, powerful powers of darkness. Billions and billions of them being unleashed on an unsuspecting population. But we, your people, have been given insight into how the enemy's kingdom works. We alone have been given the power to overcome the enemy. We alone have been given the word of God which shows us the tactics and the schemes of the enemy. We alone are given the ability to put on that armor. We alone have been given that faith to resist the fiery darts, to quench the fiery darts of the enemy. And I pray, Father, your people, we, your people, will continue to grow in the word of God, in the knowledge of the holy, the knowledge of this living God, and stand there in our homes, in our schools, in our colleges, in our workplaces, stand there firm. As tide after tide of evil comes, we stand there gentle, loving, compassionate, kind, yet firm. Firm. Because we know who our God is. Because you said they who know their God will do great exploits. And Daniel stood up in the dining hall. The world did not see it as a great exploit. But heaven marked it as a mighty exploit. And I pray our young men and women will stand up. And be counted in thy kingdom Lord. That they will continue to discipline themselves Lord. Saying no to things that eat their time. And eat their life. And destroy their bodies. And they will say yes. To the things of God. Yes. Yes to God. Turn away. From the things of the past. And look forward. To what God has promised each one of us. An overflow of the spirit. In these last days. Thank you father. Thank you. I commit your church into thy hands. And I pray father that you would go with them. You would go before them. When they are uncertain, you show the way. When they are sure in themselves, you humble us. When you are frightened of the enemy behind, you be our rear guard. When we look to the east and the west, you surround us with our love. Help us to know you are our strength. You alone. Help us not to put our strength in anything that is of the flesh, O Lord. 
Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Meet your people at their point of need. Those who are sick, I pray you would heal them. Those who are oppressed, I pray you would deliver them. Those who are hurting, I pray you would comfort them. Those who are confused, I pray you would show them the light, the way they have asked for, Lord. You are everything to us. An all-loving, all-encompassing Savior. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Above all, Father, help us to stand till the very last breath of our lives, Lord, for you and for you alone. Thank you, thank you, Father. Now by faith we lift up holy hands and we bless your holy name. We bless your holy name, Lord. We bless your holy name. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen. Amen.